Hey, it's John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and it's The Entrepreneurial You, the show for dedicated and passionate Caribbean entrepreneurs. Our goals can only be reached through a vehicle of a plan in which we must fervently believe and upon which we must vigorously act. There is no other route to success. Pablo Picasso. Greetings. What a go on. Welcome to episode 94 of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. I'm Henika Watkins Porter. Today's episode is with Raghava KK, named by CNN as one of the 10 most remarkable people in 2010. He is a multidisciplinary artist and entrepreneur working at the intersection of art, science, technology, and education. Raghavo is a National Geographic Emerging Explorer and a multiple-time TED speaker. Today, we are going to be talking about a new way to think about a plan. Welcome, Raghavo. Thank you so much. Before we head into our conversation... I have a fun question for you. And here goes. Bring it on. <laughs> Our motto in Jamaica is out of many one people, right? So we have a rich history of being a country that has been influenced greatly by people of Indian descent. So the East Indians um, are the largest ethnic minority in Jamaica. And they arrived between 1845 and 1917. So the Indians have come here and we have been, you know, working together. They were part of our culture. Now we know something about India. What do you know <laughs> about Jamaica? Uh, if anything about Jamaica? Oh my goodness! Um, I've been to Jamaica with my family. Yay! And <laughs> and one of the the best things I love about Jamaica is the people. How warm, friendly, and loving they are. And I think uh, it's one of the most uh, lively and loving places I've ever been to. And my kids even now say, can we go back to Jamaica? Oh, (laughs) amazing. (laughs) So, you know what? Even if you didn't know anything or say anything else, the fact that you've been here, that's enough for us, yeah? (laughs) So, and you talk about the people, though, like the warmth and stuff of the people. And one of my favorite things in 2018, as the time of recording, of course, is that I've been to India in, I went to India in 2018, in January, from Jan, the end of January to the end of March. And the people wow. are the most amazing I've ever come across. I love India so much. <laughs> I think it's mutual. Yeah, I really do love India. I love the clothes. I love like I love how the women dress. I love the vibrancy of the people and how they celebrate like different and people were different. And it just it's just an amazing time that I've had. So I'm really happy to have this conversation with you on so many levels. Thank you so much. Can I can I tell you that my first the first time I've ever heard the word Jamaica mm-hmm. was in a song when I was in primary school mm-hmm. called The Jamaican Farewell. And it's one of my favorite songs. Mm. And uh, I I used to I grew up listening to that song. And finally, I got to go to Jamaica. Oh, oh, that's so sweet. That's a great story. So um, <laughs> it's a nice way. Like, you know, we 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 
hoping that you're hoping that you plan to come back to Jamaica. And it's a nice way now to segue into what we're going to be talking about, which is a new way to think about a plan. <laughs> so, Absolutely. I mean, right. So that topic kind of give us the impression, you know, that implicit in that is that there's a traditional way of thinking about a plan, right? So let's talk about what the traditional way is, as you know it. You know, the traditional way of thinking of a plan is how do I try and achieve um, an objective goal? Um, How do I structure every aspect of that goal? How do I think about it from a very myopic, short-term perspective? Very, uh, uh, what can I achieve? Um, And I think that is uh, that's faulty on many, many, many accounts because the first thing we know about the world and about life is that you cannot predict every aspect of it. You can only plan your attitude, not exactly what you're going to do. Um, The second issue I have with that is when you think myopic, you end up uh, looking at small achievements and finding happiness in, in, you chase happiness as opposed to chasing meaningfulness. And you try and find things that make you happy as opposed to, and this is my issue with the American dream. I think this pursuit of happiness uh, is flawed. I think there's a pursuit of meaning. And sometimes the journey may not be happy. It may not be seeking the things that make you just happy. Um, So, yeah, so when I plan, I try to think of things very differently. And I hope we can jump into that at some point. Right. So we are definitely going to be looking at that, you know, perspective of a new way of thinking about a plan. But before we get there, because, you know, we, we want to build up to that, you know, drum roll and we build up to that part. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, what does a plan is in your mind, though? What really is a plan? You know, uh, a plan is a loose framework and an attitude to and it's an it's, it is sending the universe an intent. So when I, I always go with the structure and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't believe that life can happen without structure, but the structure is a very loose framework. And I, I'll tell you something my dad told me, uh, this may sound like a digression, but it's really related. My dad told me that you, the, 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 uh, the what's the word? Uh-huh. He said that, Ideology is the opposite of pragmatism by definition. So you cannot live an ideological life. You cannot try and aspire to ideology. What you can do is use ideology as a framework, as a reference point, as, uh, as data points to achieve, to live full, meaningfully in the moment. So a plan is not something that actually controls every aspect of your life and your time and your actions. It is an attitude and a framework. It is the guideposts. It is the intent plus guideposts to help you live a meaningful life, to self-actualize. All right. So in terms of because you are, you know, you're, you're artist, you're entrepreneur, you're scientist and all of that. Talk to us. Um, what does a plan do from a scientific perspective? How when we plan, what does it do to our brains, really? Can we speak to that? See, the difference between thinking superficially and deeply is just a matter of thinking things through. So if you, uh, what a plan does is it forces you to actually articulate what success means to you. It forces you to go from, I want to be successful to, hey, I'll be really happy if I have a space where I can have 
artists and musicians come and create magic. If I can facilitate that, that'll make me uh, feel fulfilled. So the difference between going from, if I had money, I would patronize the arts to I want to create this very specific experience. And I don't know where, when, what scale, but this is the feeling that I want to create. It forces you to articulate something that's abstract. Um, I remember I asked myself, what is success for me? Is it a big house? Is it like how much money in the bank is success for me? You know, And I realized that um, early on in my life, I used to plan a lot and I would achieve all of those targets very early, very quickly. My, my lifelong ambition was achieved in three years. And then I'd find myself extremely empty, feeling low, feeling depressed. And I realized that I was not dreaming big enough. I was not dreaming deeply enough. And I was not thinking um, of how I could grow as a person through this journey. Uh, so I try to incorporate those things now into my plans. Mm-hmm. You said, Regavo, um, that Nature and I, this is exactly from your TED Talk, which inspired this conversation, right? Nature and I, uh-huh. referring to your wife, don't write our 200-year plan for someone else to come and execute it in 150 years. We actually write it only to set our attitudes right. What did you mean by that? Okay, firstly, you just revealed that I do a 200-year plan. <laughs> and that is, <laughs> thank you. It is crazy, but we actually do sit down and actually, this is the time in the year, the beginning of a new year is when we actually sit and write our 200-year plan again and again. We revise it. Um, there's a bunch of things I need to let you know before I answer that question. The first is that the biggest plan of my life has just changed. My wife of 17 years told me that she wants to go on a journey by herself. And she asked me this very critical question. She said, um, do you love me, Netra, the person, or do you love the role I play in your life? Because our plans do not have roles. It has very little references to my children, my wife, my home, my father, my mother. It has references to the kind of change I want to see in the world, the, the, the future I want to participate in. So the first challenge was to try and do this. Now this plan itself has broken. The fact that we had a 200-year plan last year and this year we are saying we're going to go solo. Um, and uh, that's the first thing I wanted to mention. The second thing is why 200 years? It's not to leave a legacy for my children. In fact, 200 years is exactly at that spot where no one you know who is alive will directly live beyond 200 years. It's at that periphery of direct connection with the world. So I was thinking, what if I could do something that's meaningful for someone beyond whom I can even meet or influence or directly have a relationship with? Someone who inherits the world beyond my direct imagination or connection. So that's why we have a 200-year plan. The, um, the plan is how do we live our life every day so that we can go closer and closer to that reality that we're imagining. And 200 years is a, a reality that is not about me getting a big house or a big car, but about participating in a larger narrative of what the world is going to be for all of us. 
And when you live life like that, you'd be so surprised at how your attitude changes towards smaller things that may distract you normally, like small opportunities that you think are going to get you ahead socially or economically or career-wise. And you, you give that up for something that may have a longer-term impact. And what happens is people see you differently. The um, aura around you changes, and you'd be surprised at how many more people are attracted to you how people feel more authentic about their interactions with you because you're no longer stuck in the rat race. You are talking about two generations removed from the rat race. So it's it's fascinating um, how that attitude changes when you actually plan for 200 years. Well, and you know, you actually said something early in, your con- in our conversation that early in your life, you had achieved pretty much all you wanted to achieve, all you had set out to achieve, but you felt low, right? And I'm connecting that to your 200-year plan where I'm getting from that. that, And it's also alluding to what you said as well earlier, that it's all it's more about meaning than about trying to accomplish something in and of itself. So it's about meaning. So is that 200-year plan, the objective behind doing that is that you want to set a legacy, right? You want to have something that persons can remember, um, you know, if, even those who wouldn't have met you uh, know that you would have existed. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I uh, am guilty for being the, the parent of four beautiful little monkeys. <laughs> I have uh, two boys and two girls. And the one, the first lesson any parent will learn is that it doesn't matter what you say, it's how you live that teaches our children. And that is who they become. Um, it is not whether we preach uh, values, it's whether we live values. And so um, it changes everything when you start, when you make a plan that is about attitude it changes the way you live, the way you pass on how you think of parenting. Um, yes, so it does change. And actually, you also talked about, you know, plan being a loose framework and it's really an attitude. Now, as this program, the Entrepreneurial You podcast, is geared towards leaders and entrepreneurs, I want you now to connect all we have said and look at a new way to think about a plan, but from the perspective of an entrepreneur, you yourself being an entrepreneur, you know, that as you mentioned, working, as we mentioned on the intro, working at the intersection of art, science, technology, and education. So how can we connect that, that new way to, to think about a plan as it relates to the attitude that we must have and um, the pursuit of meaning rather than the pursuit of happiness? Take us through that. Okay, I have a very, a very simple framework called Myth, Art, Ritual, M-A-R. Myth is a narrative that is transcendent in its nature, transformative. Something you believe in so deeply, like Picasso said, like we started the po- podcast with, that it changes who you are. It is a deep belief in something, and it's a narrative. And that deep belief, a belief actually is infectious. So if you truly believe that people are good, for example, and you make it your life's mission to reveal that truth, 
then your attitude, your behavior, your structures, your companies, your philanthropies, all of that would be geared towards revealing that fact. Um, so the myth is the transformative truth uh, story narrative. The art is what it symbol is a symbol that you associate with the myth. It is an encounter with the myth through symbols. So it could be a painting, it could be a sculpture, it could be a design, or it could be an organization and how you design the organization, how people meet over there, what kind of office you have, what kind of hierarchies are sort of manifest in that office. And the third is a ritual, is how people behave on a daily basis with that art. So think of it as storytelling, but transformative storytelling, design and art, and then ritual and behavior. And the most most of uh, American companies, Western world, obsessed with this new concept of behavioral economics, where we talk about hacking behavior. I want to get your attention. I want to get your engagement. I want your eyeballs to be on me. I want my website to be the most. I want to change the way you behave. I want you to buy my product. But the problem is behavior is a very superficial um, um, part of the trinity. It is myth that leads to behavior. So, for example, um, if you're a good person, you would do good things to society. But if you believed in being not good, and you go to a company and they say, as long as you behave good, we are happy. The behavior is a very superficial phenomenon. I don't know if I'm getting uh, the point across. Yes, you, yes you are. Well, thank you. <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make is that we start with the myth. What do we truly believe in? The second is we design a space. And when I say design, we design it for myself, for my engagement with my family, with my friends, with the uh, larger community that I interact with, my city, my state, my country, people at large, humanity. And then you go on to the 200-year plan, which is how does this truth manifest 200 years from now without me being the uh, sort of the driver the, the, the driver of that? Can it drive itself? Can I set in motion that vision? So, yeah, so this is how I go about it. And when I come up with a value I try and see how can I implement that in my day-to-day life and how do, uh, how, what rituals can I build to make me feel I'm living that value on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So is the myth um, akin to what we would say is mindset? Beliefs, mindsets, narratives, all of that fall under the, the space of myth. Um, but, uh, and it could be multiple myths that you, you believe in. But it is one that you're willing to die for, not live for. Okay, so it's like your core beliefs, the things that you will, you know, you stand no matter what, you know. Um, right. It doesn't matter what happened. I'm, this is this is my position and I'm going to, my story and I'm sticking to it. I'm going to take the stand. So it's the stand. So you have been, you know, living this truth, your truth, your way of thinking, your way of thinking about a plan, your way of doing things and your way of being, as a matter of fact. Now, when did you start? When did you start to, you know, like this new light bulb kind of go off in your head? And <laughs> juxtapose that no, you're, you're current now, yeah, you know, with, with back then, before you 
had this awakening and this light bulb moment, what has been the difference between the two persons? That's a very good question. I want to turn it on its head. Mm -hmm. I don't think I had a, my light bulb eureka moment was recognizing that the world around me is trying to shut this faculty of mine down. It was not the other way around. I think all of us are born with natural um, a natural sense of self. The biggest problem is we lose that sense of self and we start masking and dehumanizing ourselves. And one of the biggest reasons for dehumanizing ourselves is the need to be efficient, to be corporatized, to be uh, predictable, to be to hide your feelings, lose empathy, wear these masks. And then what happens is we become rudderless. We actually have no clue what we really want. And we go into this state of being dehumanized. We become machines. And my eureka moment is when I felt that, and I felt that was not the way I want to live. It was when I realized that at all costs, I'm going to protect my spirit. And even if that spirit is worth nothing, it's alive, it's interacting, it dreams, it wishes to, to participate. And my duty is to protect it. And so whether it was at school or the way my parents spoke to me or the way guests interacted with me at home, I established that my spirit was really sacred. And so it was actually the Eureka moment was the other way around when I realized people are trying to dampen it. And not intentionally because they believe collectively that that is the right way to. They are scared of the spirit. As a society, we think that the human spirit is capable of anything. It's so powerful. So we try and contain it. We try and say, oh, don't play with fire. But it's fire that keeps us alive. And if we don't know how to manage it, then we die as, as people. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the, and especially for entrepreneurs that in this new age, there is so much talk about grinding and, um, you know, being productive, which it is absolutely necessary to be productive, right? But all this talk about grind and, and no sleep, we got to do it all and everything. And so hearing this is so liberating because sometimes if you are human and you, you know, and, and all of us, and I had a conversation with two of my girlfriends yesterday and I was saying to them that at the core, you know, referring to how people were being just so friendly, we just like took a sabbatical away for the day. And we were on where we were, everybody was just so friendly and it was like on almost unnatural. But then I said to them, you know, but you know, this is how we naturally are. This is how people really, really, really are until I don't know mm. something just, we allow things to change us and we allow that we want to live, um, you know, the American dream in some instance or whatever the dream is. And we allow that to change us rather than be guided by our spirit that really is um, wanting to be a, a nice person, want to be somebody, you know, to be around. You, you should be somebody that persons want to be around. But because of the whole facade that we have to put on at times, so this message is really very, very timely. And it just goes to show that, you know, even as entrepreneurs, yes, we plan, but we need to go deeper because life has to have meaning, right? It's not just about going on autopilot and um, just going like a robot. Life has to have meaning. And it's when we look yeah. beyond, right, beyond ourselves and beyond who we are and, and, and so on and go deeper that we can live a life that we're truly called to be and meant to, to live. 
Absolutely. I believe that we are craving for harmony with nature, with one another. There's this deep sense of satisfaction when we resonate with another human being, an animal, a space, an environment. And that's what makes us feel alive. And there's a difference between um, between being alive and dead. And and in, in the Vedas, they define the, the term being alive not by something that has breath or heartbeat, but by something that has hunger. And so I, I think that hunger to be to resonate with nature is a very innate quality in all of us. In fact, statistically, uh, one of my friends who was involved in a major um, internet uh, company said that he would look at uh, this is a crowdfunded, I mean, crowdsourced mapping of the world. It's Google Maps, it what became Google Maps. So my friend Lalitesh told me that when he studied the behavior of people to try and map out their neighborhood, there were 2% of, of uh, society that were malicious. They would purposely name things wrong. 20% behaved very well as long as they were monitored. And the rest of them, which is almost 80, 78%, were perfectly honest. And he said, this is really consistent across all the products they have seen across all divisions. So it's sort of this 2% mischief makers who are disruptors and they're necessary to, to question things. And sometimes they're not, I mean, they're just malicious. But you have to believe in, in humanity when data shows us that 98% of us wants to do good. And you cannot let that 2% define the culture of an organization. Now, Google could have shut down crowd uh, they wanted to, to map parts of the world that didn't even exist on maps. They wanted to dignify neighborhoods that didn't even show up in any map in any part of the world. And they could achieve that only if they said the 2% will haters are going to hate. But the, we are going to use the power of the 78% and the 20% to do this. Indeed, I want you to have the final word in terms of connect all you're saying right now to encouraging an entrepreneur, a leader who, you know, is, is about to now make some serious plans, but connect all we've said to, you know, inspire and encourage this entrepreneur about how they should be thinking about the planning and, and the goal setting that they're about to be heading into. Absolutely. So I would say that as a leader of a small company or a big company, it doesn't matter. Every employee you bring in, you declare your intention to the world and you ask them how, what their intent is. And your job as a leader is to align the two. It is not to dismiss their humanity and their dreams and their hunger and to use them as a pawn in your, your very short-term gain. But tell them your dreams, share your vision, share your larger vision, and you will be surprised that people will never leave you. They will never want to leave you. Because you have acknowledged their hunger. You are telling them, I will help you go one step towards your dream. And you help me go one step towards mine. And when you do that, you're teaching them how to dream. You're telling them that 200-year plan is valid. You're sharing your vision with them. And you're already talking long-term. You're not talking transactional. Transaction can happen as a second step. So I think 
a great entrepreneur is one who can rise all the people around him, the consciousness of the people around him. Someone who can, you know, there's only one way you can eliminate fear. We control, we, uh, there are, sorry, there are two types of emotions. Ones that make you shut into a shell and the others that help you open up and go see the world. The ones that shut you into a shell are insecurity, fear, jealousy, anger. And the ones that open you up are awe, curiosity, creativity, love, and all of those make you vulnerable. And the question is, the reasons why we actually shut ourselves down and, and go into fear is because the only way we can remove our fear is to eliminate other people's fear. That is the only way. We cannot go find our fear and pull it out. We help people. And in this mass journey of people removing their fears, their insecurities, falling in love, going into a creative age um, to create their lives, uh, I think that is the most important job of a leader. So if you are doing a company, make sure your human capital is really solid. And you do that by having a plan, help understanding that plan and seeing how the two plans can or cannot work. Ragava Keke, what an inspirational conversation. Now, <laughs> <laughs> of course, my peak performers are very intrigued and no doubt want to get in touch with you. So go right ahead and share the platforms that we can find you on. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Raghava KK on Twitter. I'm also, I believe I have a Facebook page. I'm actually really poor at keeping in touch with social media, but reach out. And if there's something that um, I can help you, help guide you, I will. I have a beautiful team around me that actually we, we have at least two days of the week where we dedicate to reaching out. So it's, um, my email is raghava.kk at gmail.com. And you will hear from me, but it may take a little time. <laughs> but in the meanwhile, make your plan and let's create the future that we all that connects all of us together, one piece at a time. Raghavakk.com as well is where I'm sure they can go and find you, you know. Um, yeah. And I'm happy that I was able to reach out to you and you respond very, very quickly. So <laughs> thank you so much. Right? My pleasure. Yes. Thank you for tuning into this episode with Raghavakk. I look forward to connecting with you next week. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and review The Entrepreneurial You if you have not yet done so. Remember, you were born to win, but to be a winner, you must plan to win, prepare to win, and expect to win. What good? As you know, it does take work to produce one 30-minute podcast episode, which is a joy for me. Perhaps you're wondering if you could contribute to this work, and the answer is yes. For as little as $2 per month, you can make a contribution to go a far way. Go to patreon.com slash T-E-Y. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash T-E-Y. And there are perks awaiting you right there. So thank you so much. I'm looking forward to your support.